Welcome to our Friday Five Live podcast hosted by Meg Foster. Meg has spent 20 years in higher education focused on student success initiatives and working in areas such as orientation, faculty development, online learning, student leadership, and first-year initiatives. Well, welcome everyone to our Friday Five Live. We are so thrilled to have um, all of you listening in today with us, um, as well as um, Jessica Tinklenberg, who's going to talk with us about um, supporting our students um, in this continued unusual time of educational challenges. I think I'll just try to put it nicely like that. Um, so just so you know who I am, my name is Meg Foster. I've spent the last um, 20 years working in higher education in a variety of different um, capacities, um, orientation, um, supporting online learners, first year experience. And I work at Piedmont Virginia Community College where I teach FYE courses and serve as an academic coach. But I am delighted to have today um, Jessica Tinklenberg with us um, from Claremont Colleges. Uh, Jessica and I connected via um, one of those wonderful listservs, which can be such great resources, I think. Um, and Jessica really, you know, clearly has an incredible um, resume. Um, she has spent a number of years, just a few, um, as an award-winning teacher, um, teaching kind of at all levels. And now you're helping prepare faculty um, to, to, you know, have success um, in the classroom. So uh, we're going to spend our focus today really, really kind of talking about what's come out of two years of pandemic learning. Um, one of the, the comments that came through, I think it was, was it on the pod list or Jessica, feel free to. Yes, I think yeah. so. Yep. And if, if you're not familiar with pod, I think that's a just anybody can sign up for their listserv. And I find that a really robust set of resources around challenges that we're kind of all facing um, in the world of higher education. And again, that's um, I'll put that in the chat. Um, it's pod POD network. Um, so out of the pod network, there came this conversation about um, students who are not being successful and kind of some surprise around that, right? I think there was sort of this general assumption that fall semester we were going to be back in person um, and that there would be a lift, right? Like, okay, maybe it's not normal. We're still shifting to whatever the new normal is, but it's going to be better um, that we're, we're more in person. And um, the surprise kind of came out of this discussion um, that they weren't, people were not seeing that, that they were continuing to see high rates of DF um, and W grades. And I know I certainly um, have experienced that, unfortunately, in the classes I've been teaching um, this academic year. So, you know, as always in our Friday Five Live, we've um, got some questions to guide our discussion. Um, I've assured Jessica, this is just really a conversation between two colleagues. Jessica is amazing. Um, so feel free to put your questions um, in our chat today too, and we'll make sure, um, I'll make sure we weave those in. But just to kind of kick us off, Jessica, you know, we talked about, they're just kind of seeing to be these surprises mm -hmm. um, about this sort of return to in-person. Um, kind of what, what do you think is going on there? Why do you think this is the case and what's kind of the heart of those issues? Yeah, I think um, where I've where what I've been hearing from students and and what I've been hearing from my colleagues is that there was this misapprehension um, that that somehow after one year or two years, however long we did pandemic teaching um, remotely and then sort of hybrid or in person, that somehow there would be this return to normal, mm -hmm. um, and um, and that 
that really didn't take into account. I know it was, it was wishful thinking because especially for those of us who've been teaching for a while, um, we found such joy in that, in that classroom experience before COVID. And, um, and a lot of us, you know, really delighted in that face-to-face experience because that was the one that we had to. Um, and, uh, and, and so we wanted that back. Um, but we, we failed to pay attention to, I think, um, for one thing, the, the incredible emotional, cognitive, right, <laughs> um, workloads uh, for both ourselves and our students of getting through these past two years. And those have a lasting impact. I, a lot of our colleagues are talking right now about the way that we can be trauma-informed, uh, trauma-aware in our teaching. And, and what we see when we look at, at um, what's happened these last two years is that there has been a lot of trauma that we haven't really had a chance to uh, work through, think about, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we know it as educators, like we have the same kind of feeling. I, I, uh, I regularly see in my Twitter feed and on the pod listserv and other places, people, faculty saying, I thought this was going to be a better semester, but I'm just exhausted. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes sense, actually. Um, whatever we wished it would look like, um, that was a, a misapprehension based on, you know, sort of, like I said, wishful thinking, a, a desire to go back to something that was good for us. Um, and, and so I think that um, just saying, oh, now that we're back to normal, first of all, ignores that past, right? Um, and so expecting things to look like they did in the past, and even in terms of things like um, DFW rates, um, that that is that is based on wishful thinking rather than the reality of, of the past two years. Um, and I, the other thing I think that happened in those, in those past two years is that students' expectations of what school was like or what should be like have really shifted. And I think they've, they've rightly shifted, right? Um, I don't think that it's, it's unfair that they have new expectations. For us, we've been teaching a long time and we have this vast experience with a particular kind of learning. But for, especially for our, our new undergrads, um, you know, my, my daughter is a, a junior in college this year, my older daughter, and she had exactly one semester of uninterrupted face-to-face learning. And she's a second semester junior now, right? I mean, even this last spring, they started for the first two weeks online. And and so much of their educational experience has not been ours, the same as ours. And so they have different expectations. Um, And I think that we haven't given enough time or space to our students or ourselves to address that um, th- that sort of passing of expectations, right? That we're not building bridges between what students expect from their learning experiences now, having lived through most of their higher ed experience, perhaps as um, online learners or hybrid learners, right? Versus our experience of over a longer period of time and our expectations that things would just go back to normal. Um, that that creates a mismatch in expectations that I think we're not talking about. And I think that that's why we're seeing a lot of that. Um, like what students need, what they expect um, is, is um, very different than what it might've been three years ago. Um, and if we're not addressing that, um, of course, they're, they're not going to be successful, right? That, um, that, that the educational situation is not meeting their needs. And, and um, it's certainly not meeting ours. Wow. And I'm thinking because of the nature of the work we do, whether we're at a two-year institution or at a four-year institution, I, I don't know why I'm not paused to think about this, Jessica, but 
we are we are quickly going to run out of students who know what normal higher education looks like. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's, a little- it's like there isn't going to be that shared. Oh, you know, you and I had kind of a similar experience, even though we may be 20 years apart, you know, in our higher educational journeys, they, there was always that kind of commonality. Oh, you went into a lecture hall and a faculty sat, you know, and, and that, yeah. that shared experience really has permanently, per- permanently shifted. And I, I think you bring up such a good point that I've heard resonate in every one of the the Friday Five Live conversations we've really had in the last two years, but particularly um, we've done several with student panels and they've talked a lot about, you know, there is no normal and they get very frustrated when faculty and administration want to use that, oh, we're returning to normal. And they're, because you're right, that completely dismisses the last several years of their lives. But I'm curious if you've seen any institutions that you feel like are doing good work around giving space to process, to do, I mean, this is a, it's, it's grief, it's loss. And, um, and, and I know um, I got to work this week with Naomi Sig, who's at Case Western Reserve, and they had set aside time at the end of last spring semester to sort of have a, a, coll- a university-wide day of reflection and sort of mourning for lack of a better term. Um, but I haven't heard that at a lot of other institutions. And I feel like that's really a, an important missed opportunity if we're not doing that kind of work and providing that kind of space. So I don't, you, anything you've seen out there that you're like, oh, here's a way that we can kind of carve out some of that space to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've certainly seen it on the individual classroom level in a lot of places. So oh. the Claremont College's system is seven institutions, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we have five undergraduate colleges and two graduate universities. And, and as I meet with faculty and we talk about how to respond to the past two years and, and to make learning environments that are productive for students, um, I see a lot of that in the individual classroom level. Um, institutionally, um, I I, I would just give a shout out to our California community colleges because they are um, like frontline on this, really making sure that they're using um, trauma-informed principles um, to, to guide um, every, every aspect, right? Things like advising, first year advising or continuing advising, uh, re-enrollment. A lot of students, especially in the California community college system, had to, had to drop out um, because of family needs that they had, right? Um, and and other kinds of um, like cost of living kinds of things. And so um, now they're they're working really hard in the California community college system to re-enroll those students and to draw them back in mm-hmm. and say, you know, whatever happened in the past, if you had to drop out, it's okay. We're going to make this work. This is the, this is a path for you to get to success. Um, and I think that institutionally, they're doing a great job of really making it clear to students the value of that education and and giving them a pathway, even if you know they they didn't have the best grades early or pre-pandemic, um, that 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 that's not a barrier. So I've I've been actually just desperately impressed with my colleagues at the California Community College System. That's wonderful to hear, yeah, because I I think that's been so. Um, we we had a chance to talk to. Um, uh, University of Milwaukee, and they were they're doing a lot of work around kind of trauma informed 
care in general, like infusing that into the campus culture as a result of the pandemic. And I just so admire that that effort to say we value this. Everyone needs to know about this um, in our in our institution. And then what could it do to sort of shift the the culture? Um, at a university. And what's been interesting to look into their work, and it's been written up in the Chronicle a couple of times now, um, is that it didn't really cost them any money, right? Like, it, it just, they're like, this wasn't like somebody set aside $100,000 or it was part of an accrediting re- requirement, which I think so many times, you know, big projects come out of those sorts of things. It really was just uh, several people kind of coming together and saying, you know, people have been traumatized and, and how, how do we respond to that in, in a way that's caring and, a, and in a way that helps support people? Because ultimately we want our students to be successful. So if we just don't acknowledge it, it seems like and we're not setting students up for that kind of success. Is, I've, heard, yeah. I've heard from lots of um, students that, you know, maybe they don't want to be talking about <laughs> the past two years and the trauma all the time, right. but they do want to be making spaces um, that that feel like they can still succeed. And, and that's that doesn't take any money, right? That just takes an awareness by the faculty member um, to say, like, we're going to build this space out together um, and it and it's going to allow you to. Um, not have to constantly be re-traumatized, right? Like right. relive and relive and relive um, by talking about it all the time, but really just to see that it is still possible, that we still believe that if we make the space that you can be successful. And I think that um, I think that it's actually a pretty easy thing. But like I said, I think our, our misapprehension about, oh, we'll just go back to normal and everything will be okay. Um, that's really stands in the way of that rather than really attending to, like I said, being trauma aware, trauma-informed in, in everything that we do. Do you, um, sort of as a related question, any any resources um, that you have around kind of becoming trauma-aware? I know there are lots of different ones out there, but what would There's you There's a, a great book um, that actually just came out, I think this year, um, her last name, Alex Venet, V-E-N-E-T. Um, and it's, Equity-Centered Trauma-Informed Education, I think is the title, but it's Alex Chevron Fennett. And um, I actually read that with my team this last summer, my my CTL team, and we we used it as the foundation for our series of workshops in the fall semester with faculty um, to sort of put this front and center that... um, and, and the other th- the th- great thing about that book in particular is that um, Alex really focuses on this idea that um, being trauma-informed is a part of being equity-centered, right? That, mm-hmm. that um, more students will succeed, more students will benefit, a, a greater number will feel included if we're, if we're paying attention um, to both the strengths and assets they bring to the classroom. Certainly we don't want to become deficit minded in this way, but, but also um, the experiences they bring into the classroom, including um, experiences of trauma. Um, and that, that, that um, allows us to be more inclusive educators. I, love, I really love that focus. No, strangely enough, I got to the last professional development training in person I did before the pandemic was trauma informed um, care kind of level one um, in the community college system. And, and it really was, um, I'm so glad I had that as we made, <laughs> as, yes. as the world then um, became this wholly new thing. Um, 
because it 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 just has be- become this sort of foundation upon which I base all my interaction, um, you know, with my students and my colleagues. So, um, and it's it is interesting to think how transformational that can be, and that's sort of the hope in our system is that, you know, if if our if we were kind of talking earlier, um, if our future police officers, if our future nurses that we're training in the, the system sort of have this understanding, what then happens within our larger communities as well. So it, it becomes a ripple effect for lack of kind of a better, a better term. It, other, other things that you're maybe hearing, you mentioned, you know, students wanting to have these spaces, um, but anything else you're hearing from your students about their experiences during COVID and this year of transition that they would want us to know about. And I see this year of transition becoming maybe two years of transition. I I have no doubt it will be many, many years. Okay. I don't want to say that as a downer, but I think that it's a long-term recovery, right? From, from what we've all been through. Um, And it's, it's gotta be slow and steady. Um, Yeah. So I, I love this question because I think it, it points to, um, something that I'm hearing from faculty and from, unfortunately, um, folks in politics, right, representatives and so forth, is that there was massive learning loss in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't believe that's true. I think our, our students learned a lot. <laughs> and we learned a lot. Um, it may be a different kind of learning than, again, what we had before the pandemic. But our students, I think when I look at the students I have this year in my in my um, first year seminar class um, versus students I had um, prior prior to the pandemic, um, I see all the time that my students are much more intentional and careful about their mental health. Um, they're much more careful about each other's mental health. Um, they have you know, this is unfortunately, tragically, this is one of the things that trauma, shared trauma does, right? It builds this sort of collective sense. Um, it, it's helped them to see that they need each other. Um, and they're very committed to making sure that they take care of each other um, in, a, in a not patronizing, just a really collective kind of communal kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that actually has sparked something else that my students are telling me all the time about what they learned in the pandemic is that maybe grades and competition for grades is not the most important thing to them anymore. Um, and, you know, I, for folks who are familiar with um, the Claremont colleges, we, we, they consider themselves elite institutions, whatever that means, but these are, you know, students who have been very successful in the graded system um, prior to this. And now they're saying, you know, maybe this is maybe collaborating building skills at, at communicating effectively, maybe those kinds of things are more important. And they learned that in the pandemic. Um, and I, I think that that's, again, um, we're, we're not listening if we're not hearing um, that from our students as, as real and deep learning that actually is gonna take them, I think, take them very far in the world um, and, it, and should be valued. Um, and that maybe we need to start thinking about their learn their learning assets, the, the great things they learn, rather than deficits or losses or something like that. Um, you know that um, that we should start there. Um, the other thing I think my my students obviously are learning have learned a lot about self advocacy in the pandemic, and I think that that's just an amazing um, 
like, like I said, life skill, right. That, that um, unfortunately came from a, a difficult and for some very dangerous situation. Um, but to learn how to say, this is what I need. Um, this is actually a question I asked my students and talked with my students about, but also ask my daughters because they're also in college and, and you have your own focus group right there. Pardon? Sorry. You have your own focus group. You know, right. Oh, there. yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I thought you said I was out of focus. I'm like, okay, no, okay. No, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's right. Um, lots of lots of uh, input from them. Um, but one of the things that they said was uh, was that, they, you know, this this sense of saying, oh, I can actually ask for an extension or I can actually um, advocate that I need these resources um, and, and my students too, a lot around, um, again, mental health self-advocacy a lot and a lot around um, disability um, advocacy that they didn't feel comfortable um, before, but now they're seeing um, the difference it's going to make in their ability to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are all incredible learnings um, from students. Maybe not, you know, like I said, maybe not like the, the kinds of things we wanted them to learn from, you know, first gen chem class, right? That's okay. We, you know, um, but, but lots of other things that they're, they're really discovering and learning that are actually going to be quite valuable, um, to their, to their life from here on out. And, and I think about, you know, what I, what I know about who are students who are successful and, and, you know, a lot of my research was around online learners in particular, but that, that ability to be self-advocates that that's really, really tied to success. And so, um, and I'm also fascinated, I'm so glad you brought up this idea of kind of students shifting away from a focus on grades. There was a really great piece in um, Mind Shift, which is um, KQED's um, online newsletter about students, high school students who are very academically focused, kind of talking about the last two years of sort of redefined how they see themselves, how they, how that, what they value, um, and that they don't value the grade in the way that um, they had placed that value before, which I think is incredibly mentally healthy because I think that's a, that's a whole other Friday Five Live topic right For there. Sure. <laughs> um, and, and I live with a kid dealing with you know being in an academically challenging where there's a hyper focus on grades that's so unhealthy I mean just so incredibly unhealthy and I so I and then paired with that conversation I'm seeing so much on our listservs too about folks really wanting like faculty wanting to get away from traditional systems of grading which is revolutionary you know in a way I'm I'm just delighted I've um that that makes me so happy because I do think um if we're real honest with ourselves, very often grades bear no relationship to learning, right? Um, and and so, as long as we're going to be grading um, some stuff, it should be as clo- it should match as closely to the the kind of learning we want to see, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that removing that obs- obsession and that we've built into students, right? This is a thing that we've done to them with grades and grading, um, frees them up to take feedback better. Um, it, uh, it frees them up to think about that feedback as not punitive and actually listen to it. Right. Um, it, it gives them the kind of, um, like reflective skills that we also know 
um, faculty that I know that have um, limited or removed grading add a lot of reflection, right? Like, what did you learn? Tell me about it. Um, a lot of peer reflection, a lot of um, faculty conferencing kinds of things um, where it's focused on what did you learn and what are you going to do with it? And that kind of forward focused reflection, um, we know that that's something that makes um, long-term learning possible, right? We know that that is the kind of thing that makes it possible for students to um, succeed. And maybe it doesn't show in a grade, but maybe that's not because um, they didn't learn, right? But because our grades aren't matching um, the learning that's going on. Right. And I think about the importance of, and I know we've, we've gotten a little bit off top. This is, this is the way our conversations work about that importance of, of feedback and, you know, chance for students. And uh, unfortunately, what I saw come out of at least K-12 last year and, and somewhat this year as well is a real lack of feedback. It's a, here's a grade, but if you have no feedback, how do you grow? Like if you write a paper and nobody provides you any feedback and all you see is a letter grade associated with it, you then don't know how you can improve your writing. And none of us are, I, I think communication skills are some of the most important things we teach um, students um, and, and at a base level, it doesn't matter what you major in, right? I think we all need to be able to graduate with a degree where we can write something that can, you know, is clear um, and where we can speak um, in a way that, that um, communicates as well. So just, I find that lack of feedback because so much of, I feel like the educate, the learning experience in the last couple of years has been kind of transactional, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. You do this, you get a grade. You do that, you get a grade. Um, and some of that has to do with having to pivot very quick. I get, you know, the the challenges with with the way that we've tried to figure out learning in the last couple of years. But I really love that focus on the opportunity to reflect. When I think too, I mean, this was this is not just a, a pandemic years problem, right? Any of us who've been teaching a long time, um, you know, if we've had this experience of like the paper goes into the grading hole, we put a grade on it. The students don't look at any of the feedback we've given them because to them it's done. And then they don't, they don't learn from it. And then we get another paper from them. They've made the same mistakes because they, we haven't given them a way to use that feedback. And then we're frustrated and it creates this sort of animosity between students and, and, and faculty, right? Um, why do I keep getting a bad grade? Well, you're not using the feedback I gave you. Well, um, you know, why do I have to use the feedback? Well, so you can improve, like this, right. it, it's this sort of adversarial relationship right. where I'm frustrated with you as a student, rather than us being on the same team saying like, this is the path we're going to take to make sure that you're, you're really learning these skills that we think are so critical to your mm-hmm. success in the world. And actually that comes uh, in terms of, um, you know, this, not having a corresponding lift in grade, I think it does have a lot to do with our lack of transparency about what the grade means, mm. right? And for students then, um, you know, they just see that grade and it just deflates them. Um, and instead of seeing the feedback in places that they can improve and committing to that, and and that um, creates the cycle where they're like, well, I'm just, I'm always gonna be a C student. I'm always gonna be a D student. I've gotten three Ds in a row. Um, and, and rather than 
you know, this reflective piece that can really help them think in terms of growth and, and think in terms of, of success yet to come. Mm-hmm. And that's so, that's so important to the ability to, you know, stay enrolled. Um, I mean, I think about so many of the students I teach in the community college sector have never really felt successful in a classroom before because they early on, for whatever reason, they've, they've got it into their mind that they are, oh, I'm just a D student. Like, that's just who I am. I can't do this work. This is, you know, I'm here because I need to be, but that doesn't mean I'm really, and so often that's not the case at all. And it just, there's a, so I spend a lot of time, you know, working to kind of undo that, um, that little voice in their head and, and, and try to change that narrative. Um, yeah. yeah and it, it does come from a fundamental, like their, their K-12 instructors and, and their college instructors. It comes from our mindset a lot, right. That we have this sort of, well, um, that person's first paper was good. So you know, I'm just going to assume that they're already good at this, right? Um, this kind of fixed mindset that we have about our students mm-hmm. rather um, rather than um, being open and helping them see possibilities for themselves. That's that's a thing that we've done to our students, um, you know, say, where they then see in themselves, well, I wasn't, I wasn't good at math in eighth grade. And so I'm just never going to be good at math, right? That's, that's, a, that's a failure of imagination on our part, I think. Mm-hmm to not help them see other possibilities. Yeah, that's such a good, as we think about, you know, that I think so, so often the diet, the conversations I met are around fixed mindset with our students, mm-hmm. not with our, not with ourselves. No, and that's, yes. that's really, that's important um, that we, we look at that too. And I think that's a nice tie-in to kind of this last question around some strategies that you're seeing that faculty and staff can take. Um, to, and, and I focus this question, you know, kind of on the now, because I know we're sort of at this urgent point. Um, it, it's very much make or break time for a lot of our students, but moving into the, the fall semester as well. Um, and I would also love to hear, you know, as, as you're thinking about strategies that can support students, I think some of those strategies are ones that, you know, we're, we're focused on ourselves too, and our own growth yes. and our own taking care of ourselves. Um, so any recommendations you have there too would be super yeah. welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, th- um, I think I always say this to everybody, anybody who knows me, well, this is my first answer always to this kind of question is it's never too late to be more transparent with right. your students. Um, and so, you know, I, I like to encourage faculty and instructional staff to build transparency in, right, design it from the beginning. But even if you didn't, it's not too late now to look at the assignments that you have left in this semester, the readings that you have left, and ask yourself, like, why did I assign this, right? Um, what does it contribute to, to the learning that, that needs to happen between now and the end of the semester? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can't answer the why question, it's time to let that go, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can't answer how it's related to learning, you may need to make a swap um, or redesign or work with your students. And then always, so ask those, yourself those questions first, like get your mindset, right, about transparency, but then talk with your students about, hey, you know, this is what we have coming up. Um, and these are the learning goals that we have for this class that we haven't met yet. Which of these things do you think is 
which paper or which assignment is going to best help you meet those learning goals? Mm-hmm. Um, and why do you think so? And, and how can we make sure that that's what we're doing? And I mean, you get to, to make choices that remove things from class, right? As much as cramming more stuff in. We don't need to do that right now at this point in the semester, but we need to be transparent with our students about why. And that goes a long way to actually student success. We know this. There's been lots and lots of studies on the role of transparency in in helping students succeed. When they know the why, when they know the how, and when they know how they're going to be evaluated um, and why they're going to be evaluated that way, students are more likely to succeed. I mean, it just, it makes just good sense, right? If you, if you are able to communicate why this matters to their education and how to be successful, they're more likely to do the things you want, right? Um, it's like if somebody were to come up to me today and say, Jessica, you know, go write a lab report. Like, okay, I'm, I have a PhD in religion, so this is not something I've done. It's been a while. It's been a minute. Yeah, a long time. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't know how to do that, right? And I would not succeed at that in spite of the fact that I'm pretty well educated. <laughs> and so, but the same thing for our students who are novices, right? They need that sort of framework that, and, and being transparent about what that framework is, is really gonna be helpful. And the other thing we've talked about this some is um, making some space, right? Um, it doesn't have to be talking about trauma or talking about COVID all the time, that may actually not be effective, but making some space where students can have some relief from that, that feeling of trauma. Actually, we know this too really improves student success rates. Um, so, so things like giving students choices, we talked about this a little bit with assignments and transparency. Um, and, but so saying, um, okay, we have, you know, we at, at Pitzer have four weeks left. <laughs> Very exciting. Okay, we have these two assignments. Um, which would you like to complete? Which do you think is better gonna is gonna better show your learning in the class? Giving them some choice. They may not all choose the same thing, but you're not gonna be grading all of both of those. So that's a good bonus for us too. Um, giving students some voice, right? Saying, okay, how should we evaluate this assignment to make sure that we're getting at um, the the things that you really learned. That's going to help them both voice what is necessary for success so they know it, but also um, tell them that you care about their presence in that space and this couldn't be evaluated well without them. Um, I really like to encourage my students to create back channels um, for, for making space where they can ask each other questions and I'm not a part of it. Um, because that I have found is an incredible, I mean, they, they set up group chats faster than anything I can possibly imagine. Like it would take me all day to get this, but they're on it and, or, or Slack channels or whatever they want to do, right. Where they can ask each other questions that, that creates a space where it's okay to ask questions, where it's okay to be like, I don't understand. Can you help me? And let them be experts for each other. Like that, that creates a kind of space that is, um, allows them to, to feel whole and important rather than, you know, constantly under the lens of trauma. Um, and then I think making space by jettisoning some things you don't need, it's okay. I'm giving you permission if you need it to let some things go. Um, because if we're honest with ourselves, if we try to cram all that material in, um, students aren't going to remember it anyway. It's going to give them 
more opportunities to get failing grades on things only. Um, and, uh, and you're going to still come into, you know, say it's a first of a series of classes, they're still going to come into that next class and need to do some reminding, right? Anyway. So, um, so letting some things go, um, in your content heavy courses might actually make more learning possible mm-hmm. and make that learning stick better. So to mm-hmm. me, that's, those are transparency and making space in lots of ways for students mm-hmm. to have, have choice and voice. Uh, great, great recommendations. And, and I think about that sometimes when we let things go, there's the chance for a deeper connection with, with content and with the learning. Um, that can be, you know, really powerful. I love this idea of back channels. I, one of my students early in the pandemic was like, can't you just teach this class via Discord? And I was like, well, no, for two reasons. One, the college, you know, kind of wants us to use the LMS. And two, I'm not cool enough to do that. Um, so, you know, I'm just going to be real transparent with you. Not that I'm not that girl, but but I think that's so great to to let to give students that permission because I think often they feel like they're sneaking around, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and no, use no. one another. You know, you all yeah. are terrific first resources, and um and and for our students who um, aren't quite ready for self advocacy, I think about all the times, even with my own kids, right, where maybe they were too reluctant to ask the question, but a friend was like, "No, you need to ask the question." But if I say, ask the question, they're not going to listen to me. They're going to listen to the friend, right? Um, and I think the same happens um, in our classroom environments, too. I've taken two pages of notes, Jessica. I just <laughs> want to let you know. I've, this has been just such... Um, I, I was so initially excited, you know, just we use that same term, bridging expectations. And I think that when we kind of boil it all down we're still in this place where we have vastly different sets of expectations, sometimes students to faculty, students to staff. And, and I think it's important to, for me to remember that those expectations, and in, in fact, um, I think I, I shared with some folks that, gosh, now 10 or 12 years ago, um, there was major research done in our community college system that said this very thing that, you know, students have... But those expectations from 10 or 12 years ago are gone. Do you like it's a we're not bridging to that anymore. We're bridging to this whole new thing. We're kind of building together in a way. Um, And so there's some excitement. But I think there also is a chance. You're right that we need to um, give ourselves the space to to kind of mourn what was Mm -hmm. right. We're not we're not going back there again. And that's okay because there can be some really exciting things that can come out of this. I mean, as we've talked about, like sort of the ideas of ungrading, if you will, I know that's um, not focusing on the grades, the reflection, the opportunities to learn, and also looking at the last two years, because much like what you have shared, I have seen so much around deficit thought for the last two years, yes. what have our students the learning loss? And I'm guilty of doing that too, um, especially when it comes to algebra um, at our house. Just, just want to be real. Um, but then, if we can kind of look at that differently about what have our students gained, and you're right, some things that are going to really be a foundation for them, quite frankly, that might be even more helpful than algebra 
um, in their lives. We got a great question from James. Um, what is the diversity of the students maybe that come to you for help or the faculty in your classes? Because um, I know you're really working kind of more with faculty. I know you're teaching students as well. So thanks, James, for our question. Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, the um, In terms of um, racial diversity, the, the Claremont Colleges are very much primarily white institutions. Um, and, and that has been... Um, an object of continuing conversation, <laughs> I'll just say that way, um, both in terms of um, further diversifying and supporting a diverse faculty um, and um, supporting a more diverse uh, student body. Um, where I find a lot of diversity, it, we have a lot of neurodiverse students um, in, in our classes and a lot of neurodiverse faculty. Um, we have a lot of um, gender diversity um, in um, in, in the faculty and in the student body, um, I'm, you know, my students are fantastic this way. Like the, the very first thing they'll do when we do first day introductions is they'll share their pronouns and, um, and, um, it, it has become sort of a, a, a hallmark of the colleges to really embrace a, a, a wide gender diversity, a wide spectrum of gender. Um, and so that's, that's been, um, encouraging, um, we, uh, in terms of socioeconomic diversity, um, that depends on the college um, because um, while they're all private institutions and primarily white institutions, um, some colleges are better placed to support students um, from um, middle income or, or um, lower middle income households and others are not. Um, so that, uh, that that's kind of the, the, the ways we see and don't see diversity um, at the at the colleges that I'm at now. Um, quite quite a large number of first generation and college students as well. Oh wow. Well, mm -hmm. thank you. I know James is with the Brotherhood Initiative, and I know that was important. We also have another question from Kristen. Um, she's sharing that um, thought it was interesting what you shared earlier about students realizing they need each other more now and a communal sense of caring. She started to see this, the opposite of this um, oh. during the year. Many of our students are quicker than they used to be to shut off friendships and relationships. And if something goes wrong, they seem to not want to discuss it or work things out um, and that they're um, avoiding directly confronting anything um, kind of extreme self-preservation um, any recommendations or do you, um, how do you recommend helping students kind of cope better with conflict? Um, yeah, uh, that, I, I, that's a good, because I think we're seeing this sort of nationally, like just within our, our own people. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you're observing that, um, that, because uh, that, you know, that, that is all, I agree. I think that that may be just an act of self-preservation. Um, it's another way that loss is manifested, right? I've lost people in my life and I'm just not ready to create those spaces where I'm in that kind of pain again, right? So I'll just let it be. Um, but it, in terms of, um, you know, what we can do as educators about that, I'm a big believer in spending time up front talking about what we will do when conflict happens. Um, and, and this actually works for advisors too, right? Um, RAs um, inevitably get to bear the brunt of some right. of this conflict. <laughs> um, 
And, and so, um, and so framing it that way, I think is really helpful because it's not like, well, what if there is a conflict? Um, that's, that's not realistic to life. Conflict inevitably happens, right? So how are we preparing ourselves now so that when conflict inevitably does happen, we can respond in a healthy way, right? That doesn't further damage relationships. We spend a lot of time, the first several weeks of my class, building community guidelines um, and saying, okay, um, you know, what when this kind of conflict happens, somebody says something that um, is harmful. What are we going to do? How are we going to stop that harm? How are we going to address it? What kinds of language are we going to use? How are we going to speak to that? Um, and always starting with the idea that it's, and it may not happen. I've actually had a, a pretty great go with my class this semester. Um, but, but I think part of that was because we set it up to be a conflict aware space. Like we know it's going to happen. That's just human relationships. And so making sure that we're making time to identify that again, this is about us not um, dismissing, right. What students have experienced, not, not sort of saying, Oh, well, we'll be fine because <laughs> we won't be. And, and the other thing that's nice about that, of taking that time in the class, is it shows students that you actually really value their input, um, that you value their previous experiences, that you're not dismissing them. Um, and it gives them choice and voice, right? That we set those community guidelines together and they can then model that in other spaces. Mm-hmm. Really love that. I know um, in, in my teaching training, um, AQ, the Association of College and University Educators, in their their courses, that's one of the things they really talk about is the importance of early on establishing those kinds of class norms, guidelines. I really loved um, how we're going to work together in community, our community guidelines. It's so important. Great, great suggestion that we can do really in lots of different community spaces. It doesn't have to be the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. In a residence hall, within a student organization, um, within our offices, as we're working with students. Mm-hmm. Well, Jessica, we've reached 1245 okay. Eastern time. Um, thank you so much for just a wealth of really um, wonderful information for us to kind of chew over things that we can do immediately to help support our students um, this semester. And also a real way, I think, of reframing the end of this year, Um, because I think a lot of us really need to remember not to look at it from that deficit perspective, to look at it from an asset perspective, um, and and to remember to take care of ourselves, too. Um, As we wrap up this year, it has been it has been a year um, and we kind of have to get ready for the next one. So um, Pierre's asked a great question. Can we get a recording of this meeting? Absolutely, Pierre, that was my <laughs> next transition. Um, thank you. So if you're a go-to knowledge member, um, this will be available on your dashboard, but for everybody, Friday Five Live is a podcast and it can be found on any of your podcasting um, channels. So, um, and it can also be found on the Innovative Educators website as well. So um, we will make sure that we get those the recording out to folks, but also know that you know if you listen Apple Podcast or Spotify or where have you, um, you can find us there as well. Friday Five Live, um, and it will be available. Um, the recording will be available by Monday. 
um, for everyone. So thank you so much, Jessica, for your time today. Um, thanks everybody for your questions and for um, our discussion. I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. I hope there's time for rest and renewal um, as we enter these last weeks of our spring semester. Um, we will be podcasting again on Friday, uh, May the 15th. And um, one more Californian, Jessica, we're going to be right. talking with Kate Mueller um, in the community college system there um, in California. Um, so about leadership and about student support. So always excited to have those conversations with our West Coast colleagues. Thank you guys so much. Everyone have a great weekend and take Thanks care. Thanks everyone well. for being here. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Friday Five Live is brought to you by Innovative Educators. Innovative Educators offers six online services for your onboarding support and training needs. Visit us at innovativeeducators.org to see how we can support your student success initiatives.